On this episode of Kitchen Table Netrunner, we talk about what many of you are doing to help keep Netrunner alive. We also have an interview with McGregor Crowley of Nisei, where we get a peek into how cards are developed. Stay tuned. Welcome to Kitchen Table Netrunner. I'm Tristan. I'm Nicole. We're back. Yes. I don't know. Nothing happened, but for some reason, it's been weeks and weeks and weeks since we dropped an episode. Time flies. We're busy people. I know. It doesn't put podcasts in people's ears. I know. I'm sorry. We are busy. Life is crazy. There was a discussion on the Slack where Sanjay said that This American Life could learn a few lessons from Kitchen Table Netrunner. Specifically that Sanjay likes podcasts more when they talk about him. Yeah, Sanjay's pretty great. I also suggested that maybe This American Life could try dropping episodes only every eight weeks. See how that works for them. (laughs) At the same time, uh, Jesse Vandover said he would only ever listen to a Netrunner podcast if they mentioned him. So, Jesse, this is your chance. Yes, we're mentioning you. Yep. There were some finger guns there. Be aware. (laughs) Okay. So a couple of things worth mentioning. Some news. Do you know what the most undersold Netrunner product of all time was in terms of people who wanted to buy it versus the number of copies they made? Netrunners that did candles? That's a good guess. It's Rain and Reverie, the last deluxe box. Anyway, because it came out after... They announced that they were discontinuing support, so they assumed that people wouldn't be as interested instead of all the people who were like, oh man, I gotta get all the stuff now. Oh. So, I mention this because Enoteris, who is a person, a person's alias, has made a complete alt art set for Rain and Reverie. Oh. So if you didn't get the chance to pick it up, you can buy a whole set, the entire deluxe box, with brand new art. You're looking at me like we should get one of those. I'm that's not the look I'm giving you. The look I'm giving you is to say like that's so cool. It is so cool. You showed me the pictures. They were pretty rad. So congratulations and hopefully everybody who still hasn't gotten their copy, this would be the best way to get your get your copy instead of worrying about proxies. Yeah. Support artists in our community. That's also a good thing. You know, that actually makes me think I want to mention right now that speaking of community for Netrunner, it has really, I think, come to the next level in the last few months because we've talked before that there's all the work Nisei does. Yes. They're busy. Right. But like there's the work we do. Which, which is, is very a, important. I mean, you know, it kind of kind of is. Very Don't make fun important. of us. I said it's very important. You said it, but like with the look. Anyway. They so, can't see the look. Anyway, I can't see this look either. But the point is that Nisei shouldn't be doing everything. I think that the community is healthiest when there's lots of different groups and parties that are working to build up the game. By doing different things? By doing different things, right. Like another set of rules with another set of cards would be terrible. That'd be the worst thing. Okay. But like we're doing podcasts to keep people excited about Netrunner. Uh-huh. In addition, there are more people than ever that are hosting or 
creating community competitive events worldwide. That's cool. Okay. Right. So right now, as we record this, it's the last week for StimHack Online Cash Refresh 11. I have no idea. It's one of the numbers. There's a number. Point is, so that tournament is long running and can, and there's, this is the latest round and that's fine. That's good. Yes. Coming back to that later. But also, Kevin Tame has started these hacktivist tournaments. Oh, right, right. Where every two weeks on Tuesday, people just get together and jam games for three hours. And it's super cool. And I... They're doing it. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But also... So many... I know. Look, bookmarks. What'd you call them? Cliffhangers. That really seems to be overselling it. Okay. But then also... There was a special tournament that was at the beginning of this month. I forget what the deal was, but someone was like, oh, I need to, I want to start this event every couple of months. And then like Constantine over at Trace 5 has his Trace League where they have like weekly events or something for people that are in that. Cool. And then Green Level Clearance Discord has this like whole Ret Runner tournament where they're- These are all online? So anybody can participate? Is that what you're telling yeah. me? Yeah. Some are more Western Hemisphere friendly. Some are more Europe friendly. That's good. Yep. I agree. And, you know, things like cash refresh are just like, you guys are paired, figure it out. Right. So I think that's fantastic. Sounds pretty great. Yeah. So I'm just really excited that, like, all these different people are doing work, not in Nice, to keep people excited about the game and keep things moving. Those sound pretty exciting. So our little contribution, hopefully, 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 after this article after this podcast episode comes out, March 7th, we're hosting a store champ. Yeah, that's coming up fast. It is. So any ideas what you're gonna bring? You suggested I bring my Asmari, which I'm the most comfortable with and I haven't really had time to play, so that gives me the most of a leg up, but I did play it the last whatever thing we got together for and played so nationals no didn't we no we were at portland game store recently right there was a gnk yeah yeah so i took it to that and oh yeah we should talk about the gnk so you brought six agenda asmari and we did a team thing that's right i was trying to think what i brought on the other side but i didn't you did i did so because we had the baby right we teamed up i was the runner I brought Hoshiko and Friends. Yes. I came up with that name, by the way. Really? Yeah. I have it in text. I'll take your word for it. Anyway, it's like all the Hoshiko cards put together, all the Uprising cards and all the companions in DreamNet. And so we played four rounds. Yes. How many games did you win? I don't remember. Did I win all of them? Did I crush it? No. No. I think I won... So I won, won at least two, maybe three. I think you won three and I won one. That sounds about right. Yeah. Here's the thing. This seems like a fun thing to do. Hoshigo deck where you're like, no, the little narwhal is super cute. He needs to come out too. Does not win games. The, yeah, like the... I was in cash refresh playing basically that deck and then I got tired of losing. And so I basically switched to the Ice Destruction Hoshigo kind of stuff that's out there. And 
much, much better. Yeah, you're actually winning some games. I am. So we did not win that store champ. No. That GNK. No. No. But we had fun. We had fun. We love our Portland beeps, FYI. And the people from the surrounding areas who come down and play with us too. I mean, they count as Portland. Yeah. 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 So I just wanted to make it clear that we love our Portland peeps. They're pretty great. Closing that aside, store champs coming up. Yes. So Six Agenda Asmari. I mean, if you're listening to this and planning on coming, it could be any flavor of Asmari when you sit across from it. Yeah. Anyway, I have no idea. I have given no thought to this. Sorry. I am the weak link over here tonight. That's okay. For my part, I have become so dependent on playing good decks. I've started playing good decks that I didn't make myself, and I'm like, wow, (laughs) I can never go back. Maybe someday I will make a good deck. Until then, I'm going to play the good decks that other people make. So what are you going to bring to Sword Champs? Top secret. Ooh, I see you. No, no, no. You just I'll set t- me I'll up you. here. I'll tell like, you. Oh, Fine. yes. I don't want the Nicole's scouts to get my secret tech. Okay. I'm thinking right now. Major store champ scouts. It could happen. <laughs> I'm planning on bringing Pencil's decks that won German Nats. Ah, yes. So there's a Geist. It's real good. And Asa. Cool. That'll be fun. And I have a backup plan in case those get MWL'd into oblivion before that starts. Yeah, because that could happen. It seems unlikely. It's getting pretty close. Well, people like Isaac are very much pushing for it. Well. But you're right. Because normally when they release a new MWL, they're like, okay, this goes live a week from Friday or something, right? So we're we're getting close to being safe. Yeah, yeah. Be the worst stuff. Like, oh yeah, it's going to go into effect the day before. Right. Yep. Uh, Could happen. It's okay. It would be okay. We'd make it work. Yeah. So anyway, two things I want to talk about. Good. Number one, I made a goal to get better at Netrunner. You did. And I'm not saying I've made much progress yet, but I thought it'd be worth mentioning how it went. So one person who I really look up to. Me? Yes, um, you <laughs> encouraged me to work on getting better at Netrunner. And so I read an article by a different person who I look up to. Very good. Is he tall? I, I don't know. I've never actually met him in person. His name is Kevin Tame. Okay. And he wrote an article about deliberate practice. And he said a couple of things in there. He said things like, get a mentor. I didn't do that. That's probably a good idea, but I'm not really there. Yeah, auditioning for mentors now. If you want to be my mentor, you got to get with my friends. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) If I were the one editing this podcast, there would be next a clip of the Spice Girls. If you want to be my lover. See, but that's the worst. What? You're like spoiling. That like ruins the joke. What what is this like family guy? You know, like I just said the thing. Now I have to show you what it looked like if that thing happened. Ta-da. I'm sorry that we were not all as into the Spice Girls as you. Moving on. Mm -hmm. But the 
The other thing that, that Kevin Tame said yes. was to record your games. And you'll right. see how little of his advice I'm taking. Because he like literally records his games. And then he goes back and, and then he goes back them. and watch, watches them. However, he also has a log of them. Right. Which you did. And that's the part I did. So <laughs> I've struggled to keep up with it, especially with the cash refresh games. What because- makes it hard for you to keep up with them? So let me give you specifically with cash refresh. Number one, I'm not playing standard decks. So like the amount of things that I'll learn for the standard meta is somewhat limited. Aren't there like just like global truths that you could be learning? Like, does it have to be? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know that's, why, that's actually what you're valid. logging. The second thing is, down. though, that also with cash refresh, you like arrange with someone to play the matches and then you play both sides. And so it's like hard to get. So you don't have time to pause in the middle. And yeah, it's awkward. That's awkward. I see. But well, I, that's over now. That's so over. No more excuses right. there. But I, I recorded the outcomes. I made a spreadsheet and I recorded the outcomes of several other games and some some cash refresh games. And so I feel like I've learned a lot. I think I felt myself getting better when I was doing that. I don't know what happened to the time that I was using to play Netrunner because it seems to have disappeared. I have no idea. Anyway, I I wouldn't say there's like universal truths that I'm learning. I just feel like every game pretty much that I play, I will make a turn and then I'm like, oh, that was dumb right afterwards. Okay. And I noticed as I was recording my games and pondering on them, Toward like the end of that experience, after I've been doing it for a couple of weeks, I would sometimes catch that before I did it. Hey, that's good. Yep. Progress. Congratulations. Yep. And I think also when I didn't catch it, sometimes I'd be like, I would be able to pinpoint like, oh, this was the part of the game where it turned for me doing okay to me losing. Oh, okay. So that's good. Yes. Seems like valuable information. Agreed. So watch out if you're playing against Tristan then. He's slightly better than he was before. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to know how good I was before, if you think, like, the Portland meta seems to be a particularly non-competitive meta, and I was, like, bottom 40%. Yeah. But the other thing I wanted to say about my play was that I had, during Cash Refresh, the most amazing turn of my whole Netrunner career. Tell us about it. Right. Okay, so let me set this up for you. I'm playing against Argus, so whenever I steal an agenda, it's a tag or two meat damage. Yikes. Right. So I'm down two to five, and their turn is install in the remote, advance the card, and then play sync rerouting, which is the NBN lockdown where to start to, to initiate a run, you have to pay four credits or take a tag. Okay, so lots of potential for tags there. Yes, and I had run HQ in the past and seen high-profile target. You are going down. Seemed that way. So here's what happened. So I started with nine credits, three cards, but my all my, com- my companion friends were there, and so click one, run the remote, take a tag from Sync Rerouting, hit Data Raven, take a tag, let the... Because I was like, okay, let's just do this because... It's, this game's over next turn anyway. Right. So at the sub fire. So, right. So that means Data Raven is free. Yes. But so there's a tag from Data Raven. And then there is, that's two. Yeah. And then there's the counter. Okay. So that's three, basically. It's a free tag at any time. Fine. Next ice, Data Raven. 
So that's tags four and five. Okay. Then there's a sandstone. So I took one of my taka credit, my one taka credit plus two other credits takes me down to seven. Okay. With my corroder to break through that. So then I was able to steal the cyberdex sandbox. So that's four to five. Okay. Five tags. Only I took, since I stole the agenda, that's tag six, but all my companions get an extra credit. Right. Then I ran HQ because I felt like there was probably an agenda in there by that point. I felt like that was pretty good odds. Okay. Take your word for it. Yeah. So first ice was Hordem. So I paid my Taka credit and then four more to get Ute up and break them. And that was the only ice. I hit the third Cyberdex sandbox. So I was up six to five. Took tag seven. Okay. From Argus. And I was feeling like, okay, okay, this is pretty good. It's pretty good. And I got, you know, another another credit on all my companions. <coughs> I guess that was tag eight at that point because I also had to take the tag from the sync rerouting. Okay. Third click, I run R&D, take tag nine. Okay. I hit a sandstone, use some data sucker counters to bring it down so that I could just pay my Taka money and one other credit to get Corroder through the through all the subroutines. Okay. So you're down to like, what, like three credits now or something? Yeah, it was real short. But that was only ice on R&D. Okay. So then I hit Cyberdex Virus Suite. Okay. So you trashed that? Yeah. So first of all, it trashed all of the data sucker virus counters. It also trashed the virus counters on Sandstone that were that were lowering its strength, right? So that was kind of lame. But I could pay my fencer money to trash it. Right. And then I was like, okay, where should I run next? So we've seen 11 points and we've seen half the corpse deck. So I was like, okay, based on that, I think R&D is the best best odds. Yeah. So I run again, take tag number 10. And that's when he said like, yes, there are no agendas in hand. This is, that was the right move. Right. So I was like, okay, so we'll see what, we'll see what happens here. But like, I right, made the right choice. Yeah. But I didn't know that. Well, no, I'm just yeah. saying like him telling you. Yeah. Because that's, that's the end of the game. Yep. You either right. win on this, this card the, or you don't. Yeah. So six, die very five. hard. There's, there's going to be a giant crater. Anyway. So I paid my four credits, which may have been basically all my money. I haven't done the math since the beginning. And then, and there was like a moment where we both like decided to acknowledge the tension. Yeah. And, and there's tension. It was Oaktown renovation. Ah! So I won. That was it. Congratulations. That... I was called a legend. Oh my. I think probably that legend has already been forgotten. There was some, you know, discussion of it in the Slack channel and stuff, but then, but again, I played, I played to my outs perfectly. I, I didn't give up. I took like the most reasonable approach to win and I got lucky, but you know, I was like, I prepared myself for the luck. Right. Right. I mean, it's kind of how Netrunner works. You can't. Well, it hasn't been how it's worked for me in the past. Well, you're getting better. Well, there you go. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Yeah. I was excited. But that was, that's, I want to talk about that stuff with you, but we're mostly here today to share an interview with a member of Project Nisei. Indeed. Assistant. Spoiler alert. uh, No spoilers. Yeah, there. Yeah, that's fair. Assistant designer, uh, McGregor Crowley. And if there's like, if there's a weird audio issue, we've been working to try and figure it 
like out how this new interview technology works. This is our first time interviewing someone who wasn't right there. Yes. Yes. So. So we're going to keep getting better. One would hope. Yes. Yes, That's no spreadsheets involved. Right. I do like spreadsheets. Okay. But here it is. Listen up. Today we have with us McGregor Crowley. Yes. Welcome to Kitchen Table Netrunner. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, nice, to, nice to talk to you guys. Uh, I, l- I love listening to the podcast, so it's fun to be on here. Well, thanks. Now, yeah. you're, we, you actually got in cu- touch with us um, a, over a year ago. Uh, was it a year? that? Okay. Now you know the uh, turnaround time for this podcast. That's yeah, <laughs> all right. But we are glad to have you. Well, I'm happy to be here. Well, fantastic. So, McGregor, you are the you're you're one of the designers, right? Uh, Yes, Uh, my official title is associate designer. So, what does that do? And specifically, I always get confused: the people that are developers versus designers. So, can you explain Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, what you do in the context of that difference? Yeah, so I'm a game designer more generally just outside of Nisei. So when we use the terms designer and developer, we're really just kind of talking about like two steps in the overall design process. Well, there's really, I guess, three steps you could probably break it down to if you were trying to do everything. So the first step, obviously, is like, what is the goal of the game, right? Like, what is the what is what is the shape and form of the game sort of in general? Like, what are the... Who is it for? That kind of thing. Uh, a lot of that's already done because we're, we're uh, working off of existing ideas, right? But not that uh, we don't do that. But then there's the sort of like, what should it be? How should the players uh, experience it? So some of this sort of vision, this uh, kind of the shapes and contours of what directions do we want to push it and how do we want to feel when you're playing that? All that stuff is what we, we kind of put under the umbrella of design. And then we move. The developing is sort of because it's a, a a huge system. There needs to be certain work done to make sure that everything that gets made uh, fits within the whole and it's like fit for purpose with what we wanted to happen. Right. So, you know, when you're just play testing, you know, an idea that you're really excited about, you'll end up with a lot of, you know, you'll 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 be kind of bending over backwards to get it to work the way you think is the most fun and then the developers kind of come in and make sure that you don't actually have to work as hard for the fun to show through if that makes sense if you want to think of it this way you know the initial idea is the designer and then the developers make sure that idea works as well in the context of itself and in the context of netrunner as a whole okay yeah that makes sense that's a more concise answer to, to the first uh, <laughs> So how did you start with Nisei? What made you say, yes, this is a thing that I'm going to do? Yeah, so uh, when the game got uh, canceled by Fantasy Flight, uh, it was it was like my major hobby at the time. So it was pretty, pretty upsetting when I heard that there wasn't going to be more Netrunner out in the world. And of course, I, I was uh, following all the all the news and whatnot as to where the community was going. I was pretty plugged into all the blogs, Stimhack, the subreddit. Um, so when I heard about the Nisei continuing community, I, I thought, oh, that's an interesting idea. You know, I 
oh, kind of jealous. Like I, I didn't think of it that there was they were moving uh, forward on that. I'm like, OK, cool. And then I was kind of playing the wait and see because they had a group of people just kind of there to figure out how the project was going to be and kind of make sure everybody was on the same page as to how it would move forward. So there was a lot of like buy in from some people that aren't even necessarily uh, involved in Nisei right now on a day to day basis. And they had they obviously put out uh, at the time a, a huge kind of casting call for different people to get involved. And uh, I put my name out there. I, th- I had some uh, some relevant experience from it. And uh, I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I actually originally applied for the lead designer, but uh, I, 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 I didn't get that. But I did uh, apply again once the uh, on the second round. And they, they thought, yeah, that, that was exciting. He wants to be on the team. So uh, they, they, gave me, uh, they gave me a spot. So you talk about relevant experience. Anything that people might recognize in terms of your game design prior work? Yeah, so I don't have uh, too many public releases. I do shop around some designs, but uh, I'm not somebody who generally releases too much stuff. But publicly, I like to kind of, I'm a little uh, bashful, I guess is the right word, as far as uh, what, what I, I release. But um, I have had a lot of uh, experience uh, internally, as well as I think the most relevant thing I probably did before the Nisei application was I was part of the Magic uh, Great Designer Search 3. I was in the the round of 100 uh, where we uh, were evaluated on card designs and uh, essays regarding some of the value of magic and general design philosophies and whatnot. So that's interesting. Tell me about how that contest went. How many years ago was it? How did, what was kind of your like design philosophy at the time and what, how did you, how do you think that it transfers between like what kind of shift did you have to make from Magic to Netrunner as far as how well your game design worldview applied? Yeah, so the the Magic Great Designer Search uh, 3 was, I believe, do you remember what year Netrunner was dropped by FFG? So that was 2018. Oh, 18. Okay, yeah. So, like, two years ago, uh, uh, it was it was the spring of uh, 18. I guess I guess fall of uh, 17, and then it got really started. It went through the winter into spring of that year. Okay. Um. So it ended up being right around the same time. It was a very uh, stressful process because one of one of the one of the challenges in sort of game design is, at least for me personally, is sort of like a time consideration because uh, it it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work to to get a to get a product um, sort of good to go. So I put a lot of time into the great designer search and trying to uh, get that all going. I was quite upset when it uh, didn't quite work out that uh, you know there's thousands upon thousands of people who applied and you know every step there's people falling uh, by the wayside and uh, you're you're still in but uh, you know you get to I think it was 97 people in the last round I was in and they had to cut down to eight and it's uh, you know it's not good odds yeah no it's not good odds and I honestly beat the odds to begin with to get as far as I did but uh you know, it was it, it really it was one of those situations where you kind of see the diverging paths of what happens if you you make this thing and what happens if you don't, you know, and it's a it's a pretty thin line to get to where you want and then a pretty wide path uh, if you don't go that way. 
but uh, it was it was a very uh, engaging experience. I it kind of circles back to my design philosophy because I've I've always been a big student of game design. One of my like chief sort of uh, reference texts is some of the writings of the current Magic lead designer uh, Mark Rosewater. Mm-hmm. He does a really wonderful series of articles that he's been writing since probably before I was playing the game since uh, I think for over 20 years now if I had to say I think he's been since he's been lead designer he's been writing about it so there's just this really large body of work as far as uh, somebody iterating over one system and trying to push it to its absolute kind of limits and just expanding it as much as possible so that's that's certainly one of my major influences. Of course, uh, Richard Garfield's another one, but uh, that's more by his work and not by his writing because he doesn't he, he he does interviews about it, but it's you have to just kind of observe how the the games themselves to uh, get an idea of like his design philosophy. Uh, there's plenty of other uh, people who write and don't do make as much as well. Uh, I could uh, list out, but uh, I, those are definitely two core especially when it relates to trading card games, kind of the obvious ones, but ones I, I studied pretty intensely. I would not have thought about game designers and people writing down the stuff that they've worked on. It was, I don't know, just hadn't thought about that. That's you mean like not only designing games, but also writing about the thought process? Is that what you mean? Right, yeah. Okay. That whole, like that there's a body of work and research, not just like somebody who has a really good idea. Oh, so it's like, a full profession is what you're saying. Like this is uh, a craft and not just magic that happens. Is that what you mean? No, but I, I think that's a that's a really interesting perspective because uh, I, I think that does link into kind of how I think of game design as uh, I, I take a very, not scientific necessarily, but I guess in, in a part, you know, I treat it as a science, maybe a soft science to be sure, but I think they, I I definitely approach it as like a best practices thing where you have these kind of ideal uh, things or sort of models of games that kind of people construct. And then when you're actually making the actual physical game that will exist in the world, you have to kind of see where that model breaks down and works. So, you know, it's similar to like economics where, you know, you have this ideal system that you think will work best, but when you actually get get into the specifics things don't work out as well as the 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 theory necessarily okay i want to put a bookmark on that best practices idea i'm gonna come back to it next but we better ask about your history first like when did you get into netrunner and how long have you been playing and any competitive highlights you like to point out yeah so my history with netrunner starts uh with a good friend of mine we're much better friends now than when we when we were playing this but uh, we're both like really into games uh, we're both game designers and uh, he, he had bought this uh box you know the core set of netrunner and he said hey you know let's come over i just i got this game it's kind of like a trading card game but you know uh, it's kind of all in the box at the same time so i i know you're you seem like somebody who's pretty into that so do you want you want to play it uh, and I went over and I, I, I played it with him. We had a, cu- a couple other guys there and we were really enjoying it. And I kind of like latched onto it pretty, pretty quickly. I, I, I have uh, probably uh, a pretty obsessive personality. So when I get really interested in something, I, uh, I like to explore every kind of nook and cranny with it. So right after I played, I went out and bought a core set and I'm like, okay, well now I'll, that way I can build my own decks and I don't have to, you know, tear apart my friend's decks to play. And uh, then we we said, hey, you know, maybe we should go to a tournament. And we we enjoyed the tournament. At least I enjoyed the tournament. Uh, my friend 
wasn't as excited about tournament play because, uh, you know, it could be kind of upsetting to, you know, get to a tournament and lose to, you know, some crazy stuff you didn't really expect. In there. I I, kind of gravitate to the the, the tournament play a little bit more uh, just because um, I like playing as these kind of games as much as possible. So tournaments are a setting where I can play and everybody's playing for with little skin in the game. I generally am not like super competitive though in in the way that like I need to win every tournament and I have to be make sure I'm playing like the best deck every time I play, but I do like playing uh, I do like seeing if I can get kind of the my most my my interesting idea, my my like meta breaker or my my uh, rogue build or you know, uh, jank, right? As, as we say in Netrunner. Uh, to work in the context of a like a a, a wet you know against the the, the high tier decks you know I, I love building decks probably more than I necessarily like uh, having to uh, prove that they work. <laughs> sure. Any over the history of your play experience, any archetypes that you keep coming back to, or anything that you find your home in Netrunner? Yeah. So actually, when I, when I first started playing Netrunner, I, I I played pretty much every side of Corp, every different faction in Corp. Uh, I jumped around all the time, but for runners, I pretty much stayed uh, pretty happy in the space of Shaper, um, and I didn't really play. I played like I would play like one or two lists of like Krim and Anarch every once in a while, but whenever I did like deck building and made my own decks, it would always be uh, I'd always gravitate back to Shaper because it gives you kind of the most, uh, at least for me when I started playing, like the most freedom as far as. Uh, doing something different and unique each time. Uh, certain IDs like Kit, for example, always got me because it it makes the corp have to play so much differently than maybe what they're expecting because of the uh, the subtype uh, rearrangement and whatnot. And you asked about like competitive experience. Well, I think my best like achievement was I got second place and I thought it was I was going to go all the way. But it was a store championship. A lot of my buddies and friends who I'd been playing with a lot, you know. And it was during the format where Faust and Ice Destruction was like the thing uh, that everyone was like worried about. Right. And I I built a a next design deck with a bunch of ice that was like either super cheap or really punishing to face check. And so I didn't mind if my ice got destroyed because... If no matter what icebreaker they were playing, it would have just after it got rezzed, it didn't really matter like what they did with it afterwards because the res was the most important thing. You know, it was all gear check, and it didn't matter if they destroyed it because I, I they were spending more resources than I was on the ice was the idea there, and it worked out quite well. Also, it had a whole thing with uh, media blitz and uh, what's the there was an HB uh, agenda that gives you an extra click. Uh, if you score it, but you could use media blitz to efficiency committee. Efi- uh, no, no, it's not that. Uh, let me. I'm just gonna look. Oh, you mean right away? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, mandatory upgrades. That was the one. So uh. it, it was a six-two, right? And if you scored it, you got an extra click every single turn. Oh, that's right. Every turn. Oh, wow. Every single yep. turn. Um, so it was almost impossible to score, right? It was. It was much more work than it than it necessary. But if you let the runner steal it, you could use the NBN current uh, media blitz to copy oh, the text it. of it. Um, so if, you know, <laughs> they would, they'd get the agenda and they'd be like, oh, geez, now I can just fast advance for the rest of the game. Uh, <laughs> that was uh, pretty fun. <laughs> I like it. That was kind of the, my, my favorite moment of, 
coming up with a crazy idea and it actually beating like some of the best decks in the format at the time. That was uh, kind of kind of my uh, my my favorite moment. Uh, kind of matches how I play as a player. Do you feel like the fact that you design games mm-hmm. gives you kind of a a step up, like in deck building? You said you really like it, so like yeah you think it make no, it... that's that's a great point um like i think that's certainly a one reason why I've, I've gravitated towards collectible card games constructed deck games uh like netrunner you know i mentioned magic but I, i've really played them all and uh it has the element of building a deck is is a very similar experience to designing a game uh, but you know you're designing half of it right so it's a very it's collaborative in a way. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a really good point that deck building games have an element uh, kind of scratch the itch of designing a game in a lot of ways. So, for me, I do pottery. Yeah, and when I see somebody else's work, I'm deconstructing it and reconstructing it uh-huh. in my head, trying to figure out like how did they do it? What did they do here? So, do you do that like when you're playing against somebody? You're like, oh, I see that card, that card this must be what they've got going on. This is their goal. And this is how I'm going to deal with it. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I certainly do that. I mean, I even, I, I you know, taking a step back, even when I'm playing games, I sort of, I, I think about what the designer intention and how they wanted you to think about like these actions. So when, when I'm playing as another player, yeah, I'm certainly thinking about like, what did they put into their deck building to sort of create a challenge for me? Uh, and I think similarly, I do that if I'm playing another board game that's more set in stone. I'm thinking, you know, what what challenge did the designer lay out for me to sort of figure out and different grooves and what did they think would work well here and wh- why should I do what they they see they want me to do or and why should I avoid other things? Cool. Can't see in those marionette strengths. Yeah, no, I, I definitely I'm I'm trying to go like a step back and think through the thought process. And the the intention behind any decision in a, in, a, in, a, in a in a game. Cool. So, going back to best practices, right? What do you think are some cards from both FFG days and Nisei days that you think do a really good job, and maybe not a good job of adhering to best practices, and how it either worked out really well or it caused a problem. It's a good question, but it's also a probably the, probably a difficult question at the same time because you know there, there's a lot of interesting situations where you have a deck, you have a card that I think is like kind of wonderfully designed, but has problems in other aspects. I'll, I'll start with a card I think is like really fun. It's just like an individual design. Like one of my absolute favorite cards is probably like Personal Workshop, where it has this element of personal workshop. If for people who don't know, uh, it's a resource that lets you basically host uh, programs on it, and it slowly pays for it over time. And you can sort of pay for it in installments. So you know you're, you're you've got this idea for a program, and you're working on it over time. And if you wait a little bit longer and just kind of do off go off and do other things, and you come back, it'll be a little bit easier to get the, get the work done and and make the thing you want to make. But uh, you can also put a lot of effort and pay for it, pay pay off the uh, the debt and whatnot. So I think it's a really wonderful card as far as changing the way you play the game while also matching a theme, right? But so one of the things that's like really interesting for me is the way the cards kind of interact as a like a set, right? Not just like individual designs, but like how one card existing kind of informs another card. 
Uh, one of the most interesting design decisions for me, and it's going to seem kind of mundane, but it's the card uh, Sure Gamble, right? Okay. Uh, it's it's really interesting because it's just paying money for money, but the idea that you have to pay five credits uh, to get nine credit, but if you don't have, if you only have four credits, you can't, you know, you don't have the money to put in to get the more money out, right? When I read that card, it told me a lot about what kind of game Netrunner is, where there's a, a huge kind of opportunity cost um, involved in every action you make. You can you can hold on to money, right? But if you're not if you're holding on to money, you're not using it to win the game. You know, if you have ten credits when the game's over, it didn't really do you much good because you know you didn't spend that money. You 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 put some effort into getting those ten credits, but if the game ends and you have those ten credits in your pool, you didn't really need to put that effort in. You could have gone off and done something else. But sometimes you need to account for different things. So the way Sure Gamble interacts with a card like uh, Easy Mark, where it's free but you get one less credit, and the, also the card uh, Daily Cast, where it's cheaper and it get, you get more money in the end, but it takes a lot more time to get the money. It's stuff like that that uh, is really interesting to me uh, as a designer, how it all kind of fits together. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what do you think then about like, say a card like Sandberg, yeah. right? Where it kind of twists that design space, right? Where it's like the number of credits that you passively have matters now. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. So Sandberg... So yeah, it was it was an asset, right? And what it does is it says for every five credits you have in your pool, all your ice is a lot stronger. So yeah, that kind of flips the general uh, rule on that. You know, if you're making money and not spending it, you're you're kind of it's just sitting there not doing anything. But it's you know giving you more options. But in this case, holding on to money, making things you know easier for you. So I like Sandberg as a concept, and I, I think. The execution is one of those things where it's a really cool design. And I think we, if that card didn't exist and it got pitched in, in the design process, we'd be like super excited because it, for just the reason you mentioned, but, you know, in the actual card, it created a lot of problems because it was a little too easy because things have been balanced in like on the de- development side around this idea that, you know, if you're holding on to money, you're, you're kind of wasting opportunity, but. Sandberg gives you a lot of value on things that you weren't uh, getting value for before, and it just kind of made it too easy to get get value out of that, like like a thing you weren't using before. Cool. Uh, I guess a similar situation kind of happened with like Faust. Like Faust is another card where there had been a kind of a little economy built up in Netrunner, where you've got your drawing cards, and like you know, drawing a card doesn't like directly get you where you need to do because with the cards you draw, you need to spend clicks to play those cards. So, you know, you have a lot of options, but you're still limited by four actions per turn, you know, give or take, depending on some extra, some combo stuff. So a card like Faust turned the built-in downside of drawing cards into not as much a downside because you could draw a bunch of cards and then use them for a great effect in breaking ice uh, very quickly because they didn't cost a click or, or any other resources to spend the cards in a way that uh, like how many times have you played Netrunner and said okay I'm going to draw three cards this turn and then discard two of them because I just need to find the thing I'm looking for uh, you know as, as, as soon as possible so that like Faust uh, in such an easy way in such an effective way the most important way which is letting you get into servers lets you use the 
what was normally the downside of drawing as an upside that, you know, you could just use it right away. Cool. So give me an example where you think the best practices really carefully or like really well align with one of the Nisei cards. Yeah. So, you know, uh, one of the interesting things is, you know, when, when you're looking at your own designs, uh, you really want it, to, it's, it's a lot harder to talk about it in the kind of the, the same way you can talk about somebody else's design because you are so kind of like intimately familiar with like every step it went through and every change that got made. I think, and it's a little, uh, little selfish, but I'm, I'm going to pick a card that, uh, you know, I, I originally came up with uh, and it's one I really enjoy which is uh, Earth Station, right? The uh, sure. uh, Wayland flip ID. So it started with like a thematic thing, right? Which was the Beanstalk had a problem happen to it. You know, it, uh, it wasn't operating at full capacity. It might have uh, gotten knocked over. I don't remember exactly how the lore shook out, but there was a, there was a problem with the, with the Beanstalk. So um, I envisioned, you know, a division of Wayland coming up with a really focused on the Beanstalk. They really needed to make sure the Beanstalk was working as well as it possibly could. So that, that resulted in the idea of like, okay, what if I just have one server, which is the Beanstalk, right? I don't have a bunch of remote servers. I'm not concerned about anything else. Just you're limited to one server. So then it kind of, that's, that was the basic idea. And then... The execution ended up being, you know, well, how do I make having one server good? Well, it has to be hard to get into that server, right? Otherwise, why would I play this identity if I, that's the only benefit is that I can't make multiple servers? So, like, the original idea was, okay, well, the flip ID lets you know when there's some state that it can be in where you can't run the uh, remote server and there's a state where you can. And there's some cost for the corp to make that server unrunnable. So... Like originally it was like spend three credits to make the, your one remote server, you can't run it. And then they have to run HQ. It stayed pretty close to that design. Uh, we made it a little bit easier to flip the identity over to the unrunnable side, but we didn't make it absolutely impossible to get into the remote server. So we switched it from can't run to like six credits, I think is what the published card has on it. Yeah. yeah. I think that better differentiates it from like replicating perfection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was like a really good change that came out in the development process where there was a problem where we had Chrysium, like we, we couldn't just like ban Chrysium sure. because we wanted to design this card. Um, so we had to, you know, modify it in a way that it still felt the same way that you were, you had this great server that with a lot of protections on it, but we had to add a little bit of a downside to the corp, uh, not, a, not, not the perfect uh, invulnerable, can't run it at all. Uh, just because cards like Christian existed. I think it's a better card in the end because it, it doesn't create like a super lock situation, which a card, you know, it's running back to like the Sandberg idea where you could imagine like the Sandberg having like a, you lose some credits at the end of each turn. So you could, you could imagine Sandberg where there's an extra cost involved. And in this case, the cost is just that it's not as protected as something like uh, replicating perfection is. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're, Working on things like creating IDs, especially, mm-hmm. do you find that like all of the the lore helps you, or hinders you, or just whatever? Yeah. So um, my approach, whenever 
I'm coming up with a card, and I know I know some some designers, some 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 of my team members approach it uh, differently. It, it kind of ends up do, involving kind of how you you think about it. But uh, the lore is like super important to me as like a starting point. A lot of fun designs come from thinking of the world of Netrunner and just the basic idea of hacking with, and just in computers in general, uh, which is something. Uh, I, I do outside of game design, right? I have a lot of experience in like computer science and you know, information technology and all that stuff. So I will, I'll take, sometimes when I'm just trying to figure out, I, I need a card for NBN and I'll just kind of think, okay, uh, what's something from like social media that I was experiencing the other day and how can that be a Netrunner card, right? And sometimes it'll end up being where you know, I might think, okay, uh, you know, I, I see a media blackout or, you know, someone using social media in an interesting way to, like, attack somebody, right? And that might get me thinking about a particular mechanic, like, how would I represent that in the game? And then sometimes that mechanic doesn't work, but it leads me to another mechanic. And then I end up with a weird mechanic and I have to think back, well, how does this make sense in the world of Netrunner? Like, why is giving, why is spending credits resulting in a tag, you know, or some some other thing happening? So for me, the lore is really important because, you know, a card doesn't really ring true to me. I can't really think through how all the pieces kind of make sense in in cyberspace and in just kind of the, the lore of the world. Sometimes it'll be something from creative where they'll have like an idea for a story and uh, a particular themes they want to hit and that'll I'll focus in on that. And other times it'll just be kind of the general uh, generic Netrunner idea you know movies like hackers and whatnot are, are good inspiration for uh things that can happen in, in a network on a network card kitchen table netrunner heavily endorses the movie hackers oh yeah <laughs> uh they're one of my favorite uh, lines from the movie uh hackers is uh i think it's the the magician pendulette's like a minor character and this guy just kind of rides in a skateboard and calls pendulette a techno weenie and i i think about that a lot yeah him just like coming by like a ghost on that skateboard. It's, it's something else. It's, it's, it's a good scene. All right. So you work with Nisei. You're part of Nisei. I How's am. that whole thing work out? So, I mean, there's, you know, a group of people that are all volunteers mm-hmm. trying to keep something together, trying to do something ambitious that involves creating physical product, that involves taking creative differences and turning them into a, something cohesive, something that involves dealing with an opinionated existing fan base what's all that like yeah so uh you know one of the most important i think prior experiences for nisei that i I didn't mention uh beyond just kind of having a vocabulary and ability to communicate to like uh, my design team members like why i think a design is good is really important but in general just being able to work on a team from uh i've I've worked uh, a lot of corporate jobs and it's a it's a very specific kind of like environment where you know everybody's working just got a, a vague common goal and uh, they need to make sure the next task gets done and all that stuff but it's a lot of communication elements that get brought up in you know corporate life and you know a lot of it can seem extra and unnecessary because it's so formal or just generally aggravating but being able to kind of experience that and know how to, to work in a, in a large group is really important. And you just got to know sometimes, you know, especially when you're passionate about something, you have to be able to let go sometimes. As a fan organization, everybody's, you know, got an opinion about probably every aspect of Netrunner, at least a little bit. And you have to kind of know when, when to let your voice known. Sometimes, at least for myself, you know, I have to know when to let people who 
are more experienced and more in the weeds and have thought about it more than I have, make a decision, just accept that it might not be 100% what I was expecting it would be, but maybe my expectations were wrong and just accepting that I got to let somebody else, you know, make the decision and, and choose what they think is best. And as far as the other hard thing working on Nisei is the fact that we're, we're all over the globe, right? You've got people in, having worked with so many people across the world, there's really three like major time zone sections. There's, you know, uh, the Americas, right? Where the difference is about three hours, give or take, at least for me. And, you know, everybody's up around the same time. So you don't have to worry too much about that. Um, you know, sometimes you have to get on a little bit later, a little bit up, a little bit earlier. But for the most part, you can schedule anything between anyone in America. But then you've got people in Europe yeah. and they, you have to figure out this thing where if you want to talk to somebody, you have to know, okay, well, I'll have to get up a little bit. I'll have to talk in the morning and they'll have to talk right before dinner. Or I'll have to talk at noon if I want to catch them when they're just off work, that kind of thing. And then, of course, everybody yeah. in Australia and kind of the whole Asian area over there, well, uh, Southeast Asia, Asian proper, a lot of people up in there. And that's uh, another three hours separate where uh, it's basically like same thing where they'll be uh, talking to us as we're about to have dinner or that kind of thing. Sometimes you have to just let a conversation go because uh, you're just not going to be up when it's when it's going on or you're going to be at work when it's going on. So that, that can be a little difficult and it, it can slow things down a little bit because we play a little bit of phone tag where, you know, we're both really excited about something, but we have to wait 12 hours to hear from the next person because they're, they're sleeping, right? So what are your primary means of communications like phone, text, email, Trello, Slack? I heard they have a secret Slack. Uh, yeah, we do all our communications in Slack. It pretty much wouldn't be possible to do this without a kind of an organized instant message uh, system. Something, it's super important for us to be able to like have it on my phone. If I couldn't have it on my computer in my pocket, this would be uh, quite difficult to do at least, or it would take 10 times as long to get anything done. <laughs> so yeah, it's mostly instant messaging. And then if we have, if we if really need to like immediate communication which is like everyone in the same room at the same time we the equivalent of that is like we'll do we'll do a phone call right we're like okay sometime on the saturday everybody you know pick a time that works for you or when you're not working or sometimes like a friday night in between because uh, some people work weekends some people work uh, nine to five so uh but if we need to like really hash something out and have like the immediate person-to-person -person communication we'll do phone calls, but uh, most of the communication does happen over uh, instant message and other document and a lot of uh, leaving comments on like Word documents and other uh, Trello boards and whatnot. So you really have to break down every kind of issue into a separate little comment chain. So a lot of things can get talked about at once. That's so interesting to think that if this would have all happened like 10 years earlier, just like sliding back on the yeah. timeline that this probably wouldn't have worked yeah we wouldn't have been able to have as many people there there was uh i think the mo the best example of a similar thing kind of happening was with the star trek decipher uh trading card game and i don't know exactly how they organized everything but that was back during like the time when forums would have been the main way people communicated and as if my impression is that they had a much smaller team of people actually designing cards, collaboration ended up being between, uh, you know, people just distributing and making sure everyone was on the same page as to what cards they were playing with. I think they're still going even. 
Yeah, no, I, I don't, th I, I don't, I don't think they've stopped. I, I, I wasn't, I never played the ga that game to begin with. It's a little bit before my time, at least, at least before I was into Star Trek. But uh, yeah, I believe they, they keep uh, releasing stuff, so it's not not an unprecedented move. But uh, I don't think we could do it the way Nisei's doing it uh, without uh, kind of the modern uh, tech tech communication system. All right. So the Star Trek, I'm going to use it as a segue. There's hope okay. for us. That wasn't supposed to be like okay, yeah. No, I didn't. Actually, I was expecting you just more. Looking at me. I was just saying, like, there's hope for Nisei and Netrunner to keep going because I know we're kind of some people are getting burnt out right now on Nisei, and yeah. so but there's hope that this can be a long term. It sounds like you you're saying. People on Nisei are getting burnt out rather than people are getting burnt out on Nisei, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, 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 think it's a, I think it's a reasonable thing to say that people, you know, any long project like this, um, you know, there's going to be waves, hills and valleys of, of excitement. Um, I don't think that's uh, unreasonable to say on, on either side. Yeah. So what are your hopes? What do you see... In your dreams for Nisei, the way I see it, Nisei, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a small person in the operation in the grand scheme of thing. I get to I, I get the great uh, pleasure of being able to uh, you know design cards and work with uh, a lot of people and everybody's it's a lot a lot of energy and just uh, all that. So you know, my hopes for Nisei is that it uh, you know continues for a long time uh, and keeps like creating and supporting Net Netrunner in, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a good way. But it's uh, it's a it's a really fun project, you know, and I just want it to uh, flourish. And uh, I want to make sure people are, are still uh, engaged with the game. If, as long as people want Netrunner, Nisei will be there to to provide Netrunner. I still want Netrunner. I still want Netrunner. Yeah. Yeah. So. If someone's listening and they're like, man, I really want to make Netrunner better. Right. I know one thing they could do is is apply to be in Nisei. That's true. I know yeah. we, we often have playtester openings, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. We we, we, we send out uh, playtest. We, we could use as many playtesters, you know, as uh, as we can handle, I guess. Uh, if we had a million playtesters, we probably wouldn't get uh, much done, at least. But, uh, yeah, we're always looking for playtesters, uh, always looking for people to fill positions. That's uh, that's all true. So what else do you think, from your perspective in Nisei, that people could do besides Nisei to help the game flourish like you're talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, in a way, I don't, I don't want to make people feel like they, they have to ensure our, our success. I think uh, if you want to help us, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's great. And uh, of course, we, we want you to help us as if you want to help us. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, in some ways, it's, you know, kind of uh, our responsibility, right? Uh, you know, if, if we're not, do, you know, feedback and wait, suggestions if, if we don't think that we're helping netrunner as best we can uh letting us know is always good because um if we don't hear you know uh feedback in, in a constructive way or sometimes in an unconstructive way uh we don't know what people want and what things we might be doing wrong but other things if you know if you don't if you want to keep netrunner successful you know uh i just keep playing the game keep showing it to people you don't have to you know Show your friend, you know, you don't have to play every day or anything like that. But, uh, you know, just kind of keep a candle lit for Netrunner is kind of the best way to to know and just know that uh, Netrunner is going to be, keep being there uh, no matter when you uh, want to play it, you know? 
boy, if I could accomplish my other life goals by playing Netrunner, I would be really far ahead right now. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, you don't have to, if, if I don't want people to get stressed out and think, you know, if I'm not like engaged with Netrunner every second of my life, uh, Netrunner is not going to be there. Um, I think that's what Nisei is there. Uh, but uh, if you want to play Netrunner, you know, try to share it out and let other people know that uh, what, why you like it, you know. All right. So in that vein, any big news drops or anything you want to tell us about System Gateway? Yeah, I mean, uh, System Gateway, uh, it's uh, it's going to be really exciting. I think it's probably going to be one of the best ways to uh, get people interested in Netrunner. At least that's why we desi- that's what we designed it to do, right? It'll yeah. be, uh, I, I don't have uh, too many specifics at the moment. Uh, I don't know how much I, I can say that it hasn't already been said, but it's at least from what I've been playing with it and where... Uh, and what I think it's gonna it's gonna be pretty pretty exciting. Uh, it's gonna be you know a lower complexity netrunner set. It's gonna get, but it's gonna have no no BS like netrunner, right? It's uh, it's all the it, it's very much like the core experience, but uh, with a little bit of twist. You know, there's there's it's all it's all new cards um, in the set. At least most of them. There might be one or two cards that you recognize, but it's it's a, it'll feel different than like a than exactly the, the core set experience that you might remember, but uh, kind of a more refined core set experience. I don't think it'll be you. You won't. You won't be a straight. If you if you jumped straight from playing you know original core set to gateway, you wouldn't be confused. You'd just be like, oh, it's more netrunner. But uh, it's been designed in a specific way that uh, really helps people you know get into the game quickly and uh, in a way that's. Uh, Build, builds on uh, the stuff from the past in a way. Yeah, cool. we're excited about it. We are. Especially um, not for kids have tried playing with us, but maybe being able to take a couple steps back with them through System Gateway. Yeah, that's a really good point. New um, little world of Netrunner players. Right. Yeah. No. And I was, I was, uh, I was thinking when you guys, uh, I was listening to one of your podcasts when you guys were really excited about uh, the the system gateway announcement. You guys were kind of like quick, quick on it. I think it was like, I think the first like feedback I even really saw about uh, system gateway that wasn't like just in like the stream chat when it was coming out. Um, and you mentioned, you know, like teaching it to kids and like teaching it to people who, you know, aren't as, you know, invested into like the trading card game lingo and some of the conventions and whatnot where like the idea of like drawing a card and like a lot of concepts you can't take for granted right uh you need to teach them everything and you can't teach them stuff like you know uh don't know what to use in specific but so many different elements to like teach where you just need to say get to the core uh, idea of running spending money and drawing cards uh in a way that uh, doesn't uh try to front load a lot of information to uh you know where one of the experiences I've had teaching Netrunner is you run into the situation where, you know, in the middle of a turn or in the middle of a run, the other player has to ask a really important question that they're, they're, they, they don't know they need to ask. Right. They're like, Oh, how does this work? <laughs> you know? And I have to like, I have to, okay, well, show me your hand. Uh, you're actually fine. You know, you're not going to die or that kind of thing where they, they get uh, hung up on uh, on some really small thing. It might be trace. It might be what's a tag, you know. There's just a lot of different little things that can uh, catch you up. And uh, 
what the intention here is to not necessarily take stuff out, but uh, just make sure that uh, we're not overloading players with too many concepts that aren't necessary for having a fun game of Netrunner. Cool. Right. Yeah. What's the latest on the release date? Uh, I I don't know. That's not something I decide. Okay. I wish it, I, wish, I wish it was out tomorrow, but uh, I, I don't make those decisions. Fair enough. Yeah, I wish I could tell you, but... Uh, okay, anything that you feel like is important to understand about the work that you do that we didn't cover? Well, I, I, you let me talk uh, plenty. I think I got uh, you know the core of uh, what, what I do pretty well, so uh, I don't think I need to throw anything else in there. Cool. Well, thank you, McGregor. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, well, thank thank you for uh, having me on and uh, accepting my uh, my offer. I you know I thought uh, I'd like to be on a podcast, and I thought your guys's was uh, was a good venue. I really like uh, your guys' kind of perspective on the game, uh, and uh, I'm happy that uh, we were able to make this work out. We're flattered. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, being down and uh, you know not uh, not getting spooked on me uh, you know offering. So that that's very nice of you guys. No, we're grateful that you have patience with us <laughs> yeah i've done my own podcast and uh i i, I know how uh difficult it can be uh I, i'm a little bit of a perfectionist and i only have uh, 10 episodes of my podcast released and i had to go off and do other things like make netrunner but uh we're grateful for your work or help make netrunner as it were but uh uh you know i'm one of those people who I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist so i can understand uh you know the delays and any number of things can cop pop up that uh make it hard to uh, get started. So I'm really happy we could make, make the time and uh, figure out how to do it. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, have a great night. Take care. Yeah, you guys too. Uh, thanks again for the interview. Thank you so much. Uh, really great talking with y'all. Okay. Anything from that interview that you thought was particularly noteworthy? It was a while ago. Not for the listeners. It just happened. Uh, yeah, I know. Anything that you listeners thought was noteworthy? They no can't feedback answer you. Mm, bummer. That was great to talk to McGregor and hear what kind of stuff he does in Nisei because, I don't know, for me, I don't really know what people do. Right. Uh, I sound dumb. But, uh, no, I just, like, I don't know what all the components, like, there's a lot that goes into making games of all sorts, and it amazes me how much behind the scenes action there actually is. Yeah. Your problem was that there wasn't any game design chapters in your busy town book. Yeah. What's with that? Come on, Richard Scary, pull it together. Yeah. The, the work that it takes to get cards that are good. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty intense. Yeah. So thanks to everybody who makes it possible. Like, yeah. you know, the play testers are probably an underappreciated group. Make sure that the numbers in the cards aren't totally nuts. Right. Yeah, we take for granted all the work that goes into these things. Well, no longer. Now you have got your Mr. Rogers factory tour. I love Mr. Rogers. I mean, we all know that. I don't know if they know that, but I do love Mr. Rogers. That's not what this is about. The point is you saw how the crayons get made. I love that episode. (laughs) It's so cool. All right. Yep, pretty great. So what's on your Netrunner mind? I don't know. I want to play more. I just let's play right now. Anyway, it's hard. I don't know. It's hard to make it happen all the time. And like right now, I'm tired and my brain is falling asleep. But I just want to like and then like playing on Jinteki is great, but like playing with the cards and touching the tokens—that's just something special. 
That's it what is. I want to do more of. Okay, anything else you want to tell our adoring fans? Write to us. That would be great. Yeah. How could they do that? Well, they could email us at kitchentablenetrunner at gmail.com. And then maybe we'd be less lame. And if you do something great or pretty great, I mean, listen to the McGregor interview and then you could judge for yourself how great what you do is. And um, that's the bar. Ah, anyway. So point is, you do something really cool and you'd be willing to be interviewed and accept the fact that we are not great at this yet. The interviewing or the audio quality ending of it. Okay, let me just let me just take a moment here and say, as far as like raw audio quality, maybe not. But I put a lot of effort into making sure that the people who come on sound like their best selves, that they really are able to get their ideas across with with a minimum of like I'm not saying I'm I'm at like NPR level, but like cutting people's <laughs> interview together into like coherent segments and like cutting out the filler. Wait, you're saying that Terry Gross's interviews are not like off the cuff at the moment. They're like edited. So I'm not talking about necessarily Terry Gross, probably. Uh-huh. But what I'm saying is like, you know, when anyone gives a comment on a news story on like all things considered, it sounds like they're not just some yokel off the street. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Those are edited. I get that. Right. And it's, but like, it's like one snippet, whether they say for like, they're talking for 10 seconds, that's, you know, all the ums are taken out, all that kind of stuff. Right. I'm, I really try to present people at their best, at their best. Yes. So, and I can attest that he spends a lot of time doing that, or he says he does. I'm often <laughs> asleep, actually. <laughs> they get done and we have listeners who seem to think we're kind of okay anyway but if you want to like give us an interview we would love it you know like maybe sanjay wants to talk about what it's like to put together your cash refresh maybe he wants to talk about what it's like to be our biggest fan we could talk about both there you go we uh anyway do not discriminate we're uh good and full of ourselves yeah i don't know if i'm gonna put on an open open season on doing interviews because they're stressful. (laughs) Well, you can offer, but don't feel bad if we either decline or take over a year to get back to you. Right. Because we're busy and tired. You're tired. I'm busy. You're busy and tired. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, cool. So number one, if you're in Portland or can afford the airfare, or maybe you have a horse, you should come. It'll be so good. Look it up on our Facebook group. Yes. Number two, get in touch. Tell us what you think. And by you should come, like you should come and play with us, whether at our store champs or just like when Ian was in town, just be like, hey, I'm in town. Who wants to play Netrunner? Because we're often somewhat flexible. Yeah. If you don't mind doing an interview. Yeah. Or having we'll lots probably of children around. Yeah. That's either part of the deal. But they're nice children. To other people. Mm, okay. I'll give them that. Okay. Yes. If you're ever in Portland, drop us a line. Yeah. Love Facebook to connect. is probably the easiest. But or yeah. our email address, which you just mentioned. Or the email address. Yes, because yeah. you're getting emails from that now. I have for a long time. It's fine. Okay. Yes. Good. Anyway. But third. Play, play Netrunner.
with the cards and touching the tokens, that's just something special. That's it what is. I want to do more of. You can touch my tokens anytime. Ooh. 